Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. Marriage is the safest relationship on earth, period. There is no reason to fear marriage. Many people fear marriage. They fear it because we threw God out and we threw the Bible out. We're wondering why it doesn't work. God created marriage, not a lawyer or a lonely Neanderthal. God created marriage. And so it only works his way. And he tells us how marriage works. And so Revelation chapter two, we're gonna read uh, a letter that Jesus wrote to one of the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst, of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus now, this is the first letter to the seven churches. It's interesting, the first letter that Jesus writes to the churches is the church at Ephesus, and he says, you've left your first love, and I'm not good with that. The last letter he writes is to the church at Laodicea, and they're lukewarm. And he said, if you were cold, I could take it. If you were hot, I could take it. But because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. So here's a relationship that started right. It started passionately at this church at Ephesus and Jesus. They had a first love. They had a passionate love for Jesus. And what happened was church took over. They became distracted. It's like a married couple who gets married and they're passionately in love. It's all about them. And then kids come along. And before you know it, their relationship is a casualty of the family. It was once about them, now it's about the family. And what Jesus is saying here to them is you're dutiful, but you're distracted. You cook good, you take good care of the kids, but you're not as interested in me as you used to be, and I'm not okay with that. In fact, I'm warning you. If you do not get your first love back, I'm not gonna normalize this, I'm not gonna say it's okay, because it's not okay. If you do not get your first love back, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its midst, okay? Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. It means the manifested presence of God. It means I am not going to continue to manifest my presence among you as I have before. I'll be with you, Jesus is all places at all times, but not his manifest presence. The second thing it means is this, when you're in the darkness and you're trying to find a church, You're looking for a church that's on fire for God that has a lampstand. And people in darkness can find churches naturally whenever that church is on fire for Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, if you don't get your first love back from me, I'm removing your lampstand so the people in darkness can't find you. You say, well, why wouldn't Jesus want people who are lost to find a church that's maybe lukewarm? Because lukewarm Christians are a bad advertisement for a great God. And God doesn't want people to come to church to learn to be religious. God wants people to come to church to learn to love him. And so, but but let me say this. Someone has your first love. I mean, see, when Jesus has your first love, I mean, Jesus has your first love. When Jesus does not have your first love, somebody else does. 
It could be your children, it could be your job, it could be NASCAR, it could be the Dallas Cowboys. That's the right response to that. It, somebody has your first love. And see, here's the issue. That somebody that has your first love didn't create you in your mother's womb. They didn't die for you on the cross. That person that has your first love does not deserve your first love. Jesus deserves your first love. And so he says to them, by the way, he says to them, I'm not okay. I'm not okay with you losing your first love. These are, these are laws of physics. Uh, matter, all matter in the universe is in one of three states, according to the laws of physics. All matter is either dynamic, which means it's growing, it's building. It is static, which means it's no longer growing and building. Or it's entropic, which means it is, uh, it is uh, deteriorating. And so dynamic, static, and tropic. So if you ma imagine a flower that's growing, that's dynamic. If you imagine a flower that has stopped growing, that's static. If you imagine a flower that's dying, that's entropic. Well, here's the point. Anything not growing is dying. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is either growing or dying. But it cannot stay the same. Anything static becomes entropic. The only thing that can stay dynamic is something that never becomes static or entropic. Okay, their, their relationship with Jesus has become static. They're not falling away from Jesus. They don't hate Jesus. They're just lukewarm. That's the first step. See, married couples get married, and uh, you know, typically, the honeymoon period of the marriage is the best part of the marriage. That's why we have the saying, "The honeymoon is over." The, honey, the, the, the saying, "The honeymoon is over," is saying this: Our marriage is no longer dynamic. Our marriage is no longer growing. Now we have settled into the ruts and welcome to Boringville. That's what you're saying. All bad things happen there. Long before a marriage goes into crisis, it was boring. Long before a marriage goes into crisis, they left their, they stopped growing as a couple. They stopped growing and their marriage began to deteriorate. You have to work at marriage. You have to make sure that your marriage stays passionate and stays dynamic. And so, like a car, I'm talking about rust-proofing your marriage, a car that no longer has a shine and then begins to rust and ultimately becomes unattractive, it becomes weak and inoperable, that's exactly what happens to marriages. Now, the good news is there is a chemical that removes emotional rust. It removes emotional rust, it restores like new, and it wards off damage. And you possess that chemical, and that chemical is called romance. And it is one of the most important issues, but the mo one of the most least understood issues in marriage. I was, I was studying one time many years ago uh, for a marriage conference, and I was going to teach on romance because I didn't understand it. I was like, well, I, I need to figure out what this is. I went to the dictionary, and I looked up the word romance, and it said, see romantic. I went to the word romantic, and it said, see romance. The people who wrote the dictionary didn't know. No wonder everybody's so confused. So it is instinctive when we meet. You're, you're Mr. Don Juan when you meet her. You know that. It's, the, it's instinctive when we meet, but then it wears off and we can't, we can't remember how to get it back or we don't know how to get it back. So there's instinctive romance and there's educated romance. Educated romance means I know how important this is, and I know how to do it, and I know how to keep it in our marriage. That is the purpose of this message. And so once instinct fades away and we lose, 
you know, the, uh, the romance that was naturally there at the beginning, a lot of confusion then happens about this issue of romance. Many people think that romance is for women and strange men. You know, the romance section of a bookstore, you ever go into a bookstore uh, and they have these big romance sections, it's all women. It's all women in there. Now, if you ever see a man in the romance section, don't go in after him, you may not come out. Just stand on the edge and look at him. And when he looks at you, just shame him. <laughs> he shouldn't be in there. But a lot of people believe it's for women and strange men. A lot of people believe that romance is a feeling that you can't control or a mood. It is something that you're totally in control of. They also believe it's a seasonal extra. It is a daily feature in every great marriage. Romance is every single day for men and women. Men have as great a need for romance as women. I'll explain it to you here in just a minute. But men and women have an equal need for romance and it is the cornerstone of passion and intimacy in marriage. It promotes and protects the relationship skills. When you stop being romantic, you lose the skills of relating as a couple. You just get lazy. You stop, you stop being the person that you need to be for your spouse. It also closes the door on outside temptation. And there's never a justification for affairs or anything like that. But one of the reasons that they happen is because needs are not getting met. Uh, marriage has become mundane, it's become boring, and there's an excitement out here that we don't have in here. And so the more romantic you are in your marriage, all good things happen, and it keeps your relationship growing. So let me talk about the four chemical elements of romance. If you're gonna mix it up, if you're gonna make this chemical that is gonna rust-proof your marriage, four things need to happen. Number one, meeting an unspoken need or desire in your spouse. Romance is about meeting an unspoken need. It, if you keep having to say it, it's not romantic. Bob, bring me flowers today. Bob, write me a card today and say you love me. Say you really love me on there. And Bob does it. That's not romance. That's just called obedience. So if, if you have to keep saying it, it means somebody's not paying attention. Now, let me say this. In, when you're dating, you naturally are studying your, the, the other person. You're studying them so that you can preemptively do things that you know please them. I wonder if they'd like this cologne. I wonder if they like this outfit. I wonder if they'd like to go over here. I wonder if they'd like to go over here. And you're constantly wondering about what you can do preemptively to please them because you want to win them over. But then you get married and you stop doing it. You fall in love because you're highly focused and proactive. You're proactively doing things you think that, you're, that your boyfriend or girlfriend at that point in time wants to do, and so you fall in love. Here's what romance says. You're on my heart. See, when a husband or a wife isn't romantic, it just means I don't think about you when I don't have to. When I'm at work, when I'm with my friends, when I'm with the kids or something, I don't really think about you. When, when you do something romantic, what you're saying is, is I think you're on my heart. Regardless of whatever else I'm doing, I'm thinking about you, you're with me. The other thing it's saying is I'm paying attention to what you need because I want to please you and I want to serve you. I want you to be happy and I take personal responsibility to meet the needs in your life that you couldn't meet and that's why you married me. And so I'm studying you. And the core issue here is desire. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. We all wanna be desired. Our, our greatest need is love and our greatest fear is rejection. We don't wanna be rejected. We want to be desired. Every single person 
wants to be desired. And romance is the language of desire. I desire you. If you're not romantic, it communicates a lack of desire. What's this? So here's why we fall in love. You say, well, why do we fall in love with another person? Two reasons. Number one, there's something about them we like. There's something about them that we admire. Uh, I met Karen when we were 16 in biology class. I just thought she was good looking. I didn't know her very well. I didn't know her personality, but I just liked the way she looked. I mean, she's pretty. And the more that I uh, you know, got to know her, the, the, the more we fell in love, the more I liked her. But there's another reason that we fall in love. I like the way you make me feel about myself. See, the reason I love Jesus is because I admire him more than any other person in the universe. And I like the way he makes me feel about me. No one in the universe desires you more than the Son of God. Did you know that? And no one in the universe has ever demonstrated desire for you like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He came to earth to pursue us and he wants us to be his eternal bride to spend eternity with. Does that make you feel good? It should make you feel good. We love Jesus for a reason. Let me say this. If you make me feel bad about myself, it makes me feel bad about you. And the reason that we fell in love is because you desired me. You demonstrated through your actions proactively that you desired me. And because you were proactive about it, it made me feel as though I was special. And we fell in love. And now you won't even get out off the couch for me. You won't even sit down and have a patient conversation with me. You won't even make any effort at the relationship. And you make me feel bad about me, and it makes me feel bad about you and us. This is what Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. You don't make me feel like I'm very desirable, and I'm not okay with that. And so the first thing that we do to be romantic is we meet a need without being told constantly. And it communicates you're on my heart and I want to please you. Number two thing that we do to be romantic is speaking love in your spouse's language. And I said that men and women are both romantic. Men and women are both romantic. Men and women both need romance. We just need it in different ways. So the, the, the top needs of women, number one need of woman is security. She wants to know that she's being sacrificially cared for by an attentive husband. Uh, open and honest communication. Women don't want headlines. They want you to talk and talk about your emotions and all those things. They want soft, non-sexual affection. And that's hard for men to understand. But they want to be held. It makes them feel very uh, important, very valued, secure. Number four, leadership. They don't want to be dominated, but they want their husband to be the loving initiator of the finance, the spirituality, the children, uh, the romance, things like that. They, they want you to be the loving initiator. Men want respect, that's our number one need. Number two, sex. Number three, friendship with our wives. We wanna be buddies with, we don't wanna be mothers. We had a mother, we don't want another one. We wanna, we wanna be buddies with our wives. Number four, we want domestic support. And that doesn't mean that uh, the wife does all the housework. It means that we want our wives to be domestically centered because you're gifted at turning a house into a home. We like the place that you prepare for us. So romance is different for a woman than it is a man. For a woman, romance means uh, lots of talking, lots of talking, lots and lots of talking. <laughs> you can tell I've been through the drill. Holding. Watching the Lifetime Network and crying. 
So for women, you know, it's, it's different. For men, it means you make me feel good about myself, it's sexual, it's fun, and you know, all that kind of stuff like that. So men have the same need for romance as women, they just have it different. So sometimes what we do, because we're frustrated with each other, and we're not, we're not speaking each other's language. We're trying to force our spouse to speak our language. And so let me, let me make this statement. All great marriages are emotionally bilingual. We, we have a missionary, and he went to be with the Lord this year, my dear friend David Spencer, uh, and I was with him many times in Central America, and I was with him one time, and he lived in America, spoke English, moved to Central America for many, many years, a wonderful apostle down there. And David, uh, I was with him one day, we were out running around doing something, and I, I turned to him, and I said, David, do you think in English or Spanish? And he looked at me. It took him hours to figure it out. So later in the day, he said, Spanish? I said, I, th I thought you spoke in Spanish. You know, you've been down here so long. I've been married for 46 years. I think woman. <laughs> when I got married, I thought, I thought like a man, you know? And it, you just get beat up real hard. If you don't learn to be emotionally bilingual, you just get beat up because your spouse is not speaking your language. And what pleases your spouse is not what pleases you. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're trying to give a language lesson when we're being romantic rather than giving a language demonstration. See, if you're going to be successful in being romantic in marriage, you come out of your world into your spouse's world and say, honey, come here, I just want to hold you. I just, that's what, I just want to hold you. And I want to talk for a minute. And she's saying, Harvey, what are you on? Are you drinking? No, baby, I just love you. Come here, come over, come here. I just want to hold you and I want to talk. See, what, what Harvey's doing there is he's giving a language demonstration rather than a language lesson, rather than saying, baby, come in here, we're gonna watch the Cowboys, this is romantic, get in here right now. And she's saying, no, I don't wanna do that. That's what, that's what Karen does. And so women will say to your, their husbands, I want you to sit down here, and you're, we're gonna be romantic tonight, and we're going to talk. We're gonna talk over a candlelight dinner, we're gonna listen to some Barry Manilow, we're going to hold each other later. And he's just like, baby, this, I, I'll do it because I love you, but I'm just bored to death. Okay. I'm giving you a language lesson. I'm trying to teach you how to be romantic. No, 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 no. You're not going to be romantic that way. You're going to be romantic by observing what your spouse likes and doing what they like. Let me tell you what the perfect marriage is. The perfect marriage is two servants in love who are constantly coming into each other's world and trying to please each other. This is Brent Evans with Marriage Today, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out marriagetoday.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, videos, articles, and live events.